Welcome to Vital Life Connection with Oren Rudolph. Discovering in Christ to love the life we live and learning how to live a life of love. Welcome to Vital Life Connection. And uh, we have Christy and Patrick Ingram with us again. And we are continuing with this amazing story. And uh, Patrick just put on his glasses. Now he really looks old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Patrick. Easy. Easy, yeah. So, uh, we were joking before the podcast about age. He, not, he's not that old. Uh, <laughs> Same age as you. So, <laughs> tell me exactly. how old I am. <laughs> I'm 21. So. <laughs> That'll work. We'll go with that. All right. So um, let's just summarize where we've been. We ended with this whole thing of Patrick, pretty much you hitting the rock bottom, seeing Christy with this this guy in a funeral, Christy's dad. Christy, I'm sure you were rock bottom uh, as well. I mean, your dad had just passed away. Yeah, you're sitting in a funeral trying to process all the things that have just happened with your with your father. And so, as we learned, God had obviously allowed you to go home during this time so that you could spend some time with your dad. Sometimes, you know, that scripture that says God turns all things that the enemy means for evil mm-hmm. into good. He can mm-hmm. take that stuff and turn it into good. Though he doesn't cause that stuff, he can take out of that darkness, he can make it light. And sure. so that's where we were, standing in the back of the church. Patrick, you staring, I'm sure, daggers into the back of <laughs> this gentleman's head and Christie's head, obviously misconstruing what's really happening, but still pretty, uh, you know, visual for you. Mm-hmm. So the Titanic is pretty much sunk. Uh, you're in your lifeboats now. Uh, water around you is freezing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're in the dire situation. Let's take it from there. And so let me ask this question. So where to from now? The funeral comes to an end. Do you approach Christy? Do you speak to her at the funeral? What happened next? Yeah, so no, I wanted to speak to Christy, uh, but she was pretty much guarded by her family, her brother, and her uh, security guy. (laughs) (laughs) There there was not any, any contact. It was literally that, as you described it, just the lowest of lows. And you know, really a, a visual of uh, feeling like I've lost everything and it was a perfect opportunity to say there's zero hope. But as Christy spoke of a little bit last time, that it was a completely different situation that I did not see what mm-hmm. was going through her mind. Yeah, because yeah, for me, it was, the, it was the turning point. If I could put my finger on the, the day that I made the decision that I was going to go home and try to work out our marriage, it was that day. And I remember saying... I will do it for you, Lord. Even if I don't have any feelings for him, I will do it for you just out of obedience. And I remember um, one of our pastor's wives at that time, uh, Darling Duran, she said, God is going to honor you for your obedience. Mm. And I didn't know what that meant until sometime later. And then it hit me one day. Now I know what that means, you know. So and we'll get into that more. But I would say from there, we we really started slowly becoming friends again because I knew what I needed to do. And my family wasn't very happy about it because they did not want us to get back together. And so I had that resistance. And then I also felt this responsibility um, to not just run off and leave my mom because I had one brother that was leaving for the service and the other brother, they had had this huge wedding. My oldest brother was about to get married. It had been planned for like a year 
all this money had been spent and my dad died like a month from the wedding day. And they mm -hmm. talked about canceling, but my mom said, no, you've spent so much money. You can't do that. You know, it's not going to change anything. So let's just go through with it. So, you know, we, they went ahead and went through the wedding. So my brother's, you know, honeymoon and then he's got a new wife and my other brother's leaving for the service. So that would leave my mom alone. And I just didn't have the heart to take the kids and just leave her. But I knew that eventually I was going to have to do that because I was, you know, reconciling with Patrick. So Patrick got an apartment uh, not far from my mother's home. And so I would go and spend time, me and the kids would go and spend time with him. And then we would come back and stay with my mother, stay the night with her. And then we started actually going to church with my mother uh, just so she wouldn't have to go to church alone. We took a break from our church and actually attended her church for several so, months just to go with her. Let me just break in there. So. We were at a funeral where you, you guarded with your family. What changed? Or, or you know, you're starting to let him in now. You're starting to go, but I'm, I'm kind of missing that gap where mm. there was the sudden. Did you call him first to say, you know what? Or what was the the transitioning that was taking place in your mind and in your heart? There had been a little, uh, some dialogue started already because. Uh, several weeks before my dad died, I had gotten comfortable with meeting Patrick to mm -hmm. get the kids. Um, nobody liked that idea. They all thought, oh, no, you need to let someone else do the transition. And I was like, I'm totally fine with it. It's not a big deal. I'm fine. I'm healthy. I'm good. You know, so I would meet him at like McDonald's or, you know, somewhere okay. like that to give the girls to him. Okay. And um, I remember being there one night at McDonald's and I, I think I was coming to pick the kids up from Patrick and he had had them for the weekend. And so I went up to McDonald's to meet him. And when I got there, he, him and the girls were on the playground and I got out of my car and I was watching him and just watching the way he, you know, what a great daddy was, you know, he was just doing the ketchup and making them, you know, pray for your food before we eat. And, you know, they wanted to get on the toys and he was like, no, you have to eat your food before you, you know, get on the playground and just, I just kind of stood there from a distance watching and observing and thinking, he's a really good dad to our kids, you know, and if I marry someone else and move on, they can't be the dad that he's is to these kids. No one's going to love them the way their own dad loves them. And I was, all these things were in my mind, you know, this, this pull back and forth in my mind about what the right thing to do was. And so I remember coming up and he remembers this too, because this was a significant imprint in our memory was I walked into the McDonald's and went through to the, where the playground was. And I sat down across from him and I had this big smile on my face. And he said, what are you smiling at? And I said, I don't know. You're just cute. Taking care of the kids. You just look cute. And, and he smiled back at me and it was like, for the first time, there was this little feeling of like, I don't think I hate you. I think you're kind of cute and you're a good dad. And, you know, it was like a little bit of sparks in my mind thinking, maybe I still like him. I don't know, you know. <laughs> and so we started um, meeting and taking the kids to the park or we would take them to Kids Station in Longview and let them play. Uh, we met and took them to look at fireworks. Um, we didn't ride together. It wasn't dates or anything like that. Right. It was just let's enjoy our kids together. Let's just go to the park together. So let's go a little bit back for you, Patrick. So you're at the lowest point in your life. Uh, up to that point, you and your friends had been fasting, praying, as if I remember this correctly uh, from our last interview. Every time you got cocky and phoned her and kind of, you know, it would push her back again. But every time you were letting God take control, he was doing it. But then you get to that lowest point. You get to the, the gates of the promised land, if you would, but you've hit rock bottom. You see all that happening. You leave that funeral. Did you stop praying? Did you continue? Did it 
did you, what thoughts were there? Thoughts of, you know what, why am I even doing this? You know, let's be honest, let's be transparent. What, what was yeah. going on in your mind during that time then? Definitely feeling of helplessness had never been so real. Cause, you know, I was coming out of a season where, you know, the first part of our journey when, when we separated, uh, I believe we probably mentioned it before, I went six, seven weeks and didn't see my kids at all mm -hmm. and was, you know, used to seeing them every day. But so the hopelessness to, was starting to settle in. And then I just heard God say, do you really trust me? If you really trust, you know, trust is, is for me became not getting what I want, but understanding that God's going to take care of me no matter what. Right. Uh, along with the peace uh, that what I was believing for, restoration in my marriage, that God was for that. And so, uh, but I, I really felt like God put me in a place where I, I had to answer this question. If Christy doesn't respond the way you want her to, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with this? And, and, and I found myself in that, in that conversation with the Lord and saying, you know what, God, even if my family's not restored, I'm going to serve you. And it was just like, it was almost like it was an aha moment. It was scary, but because I didn't like the thought of this not working out, it, I didn't, that didn't sound good to me, but I knew God had me. And when that, those were the moments when, when I, when I got to that place, when Christy would start responding. And that's just, you know, mm -hmm. so I just, you know, it was, it was challenging. I know it's cliche. It's kind of like when you let, uh, when you, when you let go, what, what's that cliche? Let, let go and let, let go. Exactly. And I know it's a big cliche, but it's, it sounds like almost when you did let go, God really just mm -hmm. started. Yes. Doing and I think during that time is when we started um, becoming friends and just hanging out as friends. Yeah. But I still kind of had one foot on the other side mm -hmm. because in, during that time when we were still, we were hanging out as friends, I was still hanging out with the other guy also, like when mm -hmm. he would come to town. And, and so, um, we went and counseled with my mother's pastor. Mm -hmm. Um, how did that come about? David how Benson. Did, how did you start the counseling? So you'd already see, you'd, you'd said he's cute in, in mm -hmm. the store and then started. We, so what, uh, what, what, what made that? I mean, cause that's quite a late leap. I mean, from no counseling. Yeah. Right. Even, not sure what made us decide to do it but well, we just were kind of like i was saying i'm confused i feel like i might come back but i'm not sure if that's what i want to do and so i don't remember which one of us decided but we chose my mom's pastor to keep it neutral so that no matter what he said you know it wouldn't look like well that's just what your pastor said these right. just keep playing sides we'll yeah. we'll keep it neutral by going to mom's pastor and uh, that way he's a neutral guy he's not for yeah. us or against us or whatever you know and so we went to him and I remember him, this rings out of my mind what he said. He, he, first he asked me, he said, is the, the man you've been dating a believer? And I said, uh, he goes to church sometimes, but not, you know, he's no, he's not what he should be. No. And he said, first of all, you know, you shouldn't be involved with someone you're not equally yoked to. And he said, but second of all, if you're considering putting your marriage back together and you want to give it a go, as long as this other guy's still in the picture, it will never work. You have got to make a choice that I'm going to work on this and close the door on this. You cannot keep both feet. You know, mm -hmm. you can't straddle, straddle the fence. fence you yeah. have to make a decision. Mm -hmm. And so from that, I was in that place of trying to make that decision when my dad passed. Mm -hmm. And it was like, that's what I needed to just shut that other door. You know, it was like the moment mm -hmm. dad passed, I was like, I'm not confused anymore. I, I know what I'm supposed to do. Right. Um, and so it went from us just hanging out and going to the park well, with that's the kids. what really triggered things when her dad passed away um she called me 
and uh, expressed to me that God was showing her that there was two men in her life that she couldn't live without on this earth. And or that she, you know, that she felt like she couldn't live without, and and one <clears throat> was her dad that she thought she couldn't live without, and I was the other one. That was, you know, before the funeral happened. So that was one of those glimmers of, mm-hmm. or not a glimmer. Oh, wow. was, so this happened before you well, even there was a, saw the whole. Yeah, there was a battlefield in my mind. I mean, the enemy was pulling, and I was hearing this voice saying. You need freedom. You need independence. You need to be a strong woman. And you, you don't, I mean, you don't need a man in your life. You don't need a covering, you know. And then over here, I had this, the voice of the Lord saying, you know what you're supposed to do. Obey me and trust me. And mm-hmm. I will reward you greatly if you will just trust me. Trust me with your life. You know, you don't know what it looks like. You don't know if you're going to be happy, but just trust me. And this voice over here is going, do you know how much trouble it's going to be if you go back and then you start fighting again and you're going to have to go and try to move out again. And then, you know, so I had that battle going on and I just believe that because he continued to pray, it was just drowning out the voice of the enemy and the voice of God was getting louder. And of course, when, when my dad died, it was like the Holy spirit just really filled the room when my dad passed and just, fell on me. And for several weeks, I was just like behind the veil. It was just like this Holy Spirit glory on me for about three weeks. And I could just hear the Lord so clearly. And I can remember driving in my car in these sweet moments. And I remember thinking, they always say that when someone dies, that God's grace will be sufficient. But I I thought it was just cliche or, you know, a greeting card on a, a card you give somebody who's lost somebody. You know, I didn't really understand And I was like, this is what that feels like, this grace that's resting on me. Because even though I was so grieved and I felt like the whole world had just come to a stop because my dad had died, it was like this overwhelming peace and just like this heaviness Mm -hmm. lifted. And like, I was just in the presence of God for several weeks, just, you know, um, just grace upon grace, like I'd never experienced. It's funny because, you know, I experienced the fasting where he fasted and I saw the evidence of prayer, something I believed my whole life, but never really experienced on my own. It was always just what I was taught. And now here's the grace that I've always been told and taught taught about, but never really experienced for myself to be able to say, that's the grace. Now Mm -hmm. I can relate. I know the grace, you know, And, and it was like, because God's grace was just flooding me and I was hearing God so clearly, I knew I was like, okay, God, I trust you. I know what I'm supposed to do. And of course I started telling my family and right before my dad died, when he, when I was still kind of riding the fence and got, you know, I was getting mixed signals. Um, Patrick and I were going to meet one day to take the kids to the park and I had to take my dad to get blood transfusions. And so my dad, um, I had to cancel with Patrick and I said, oh, my dad, I've got to get a blood transfusion for him. I've got to, you know, I'm not going to be able to meet you. And I said, but we'll meet you for lunch if you'd like. So he was able to come and see my dad and take us to lunch. And then just a couple of weeks before my dad passed, my we made plans to go to the balloon race. Mm-hmm. And my dad was like, I want to go too. wake me up in the morning. We'll all go. My mom was so mad. She did not want to go. Then she'll tell you to this day. And she was mad. And <laughs> we took pictures and she looks mad in the pictures. But my dad said, let's do it. And so she got up. And she was like, I don't want to go with Patrick to this balloon race. I don't want to do this because she didn't want us back together. But we all went and it was the last time he got to see my dad and we watched the girls and watched the balloons and, and, and then he passed a couple of weeks later, wow. but, um, it was just, God was working in all that. You know, he was taking what the enemy intended to destroy us with. And he was like, your, your pain will not be wasted. Yeah. I will use it for your good. Mm-hmm. And I can look back now and go, wow, look what he did in all that pain. Mm-hmm. There was restoration hidden in all that pain. Mm-hmm. You know, I know. Patrick said, what was it you used to say? 
success is failure turned inside out. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> God, God works in a mysterious. I mean, it, it really true. Another cliche: God works works in mysterious ways. But it's it's so beyond our thinking. It's so beyond our scope of understanding. Mm-hmm. Of uh, you know, because we cannot see what He sees. He, he, he we cannot see the end. We cannot see the beginning. We are just living and trusting, as you as you said, Patrick. And I think God is so. That's the key is, you know, trust me. Trust me to work in your life. Trust me that I care about you. And I think it goes back to, for many of us, that my listeners who are listening here, and it really goes back to the whole aspect of, of trusting God. But why do we trust him? Because we can, we, we know his character. We know who he is. We know his identity as father. Because if you don't see God as, as your daddy, you don't see him as someone who cares more about you than getting some agenda done in his mm-hmm. life. You know, we, we, I think so many Christians see God as a God of an agenda. He has the yeah. some agenda that he can't be swayed. Mm-hmm. But I love that. I believe that if God has a weakness, and I think God does have a weakness. Paul talks about it, the weakness of God. And here's what I feel God's weakness is, us. We're his weakness. Yeah. And so we're going to continue next week. We're going to look at uh, where this took off. But we're ending with you guys finally going to counseling, which was a miracle in itself mm. from what we've heard so far. And what I see in this podcast today is, though, is understanding you are God's weakness and he cares more about you than some agenda. Put your trust in him. Put your mm. faith in him. Believe that he his outcome is always going to be better for you than whatever outcome you've got planned or you know, set up in your mind. God wants to surprise you. Thank you for listening to Vital Life Connection with Oren Rudolph. For more information on other available teaching, please visit our website at orenrudolph.com and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash orenrudolph.com.